Blog Talk Radio. Your host, your brother, your friend, as always, Tazapah, 
and welcome to another episode of ISBHPK Presents Bible Talk, man. Hope everybody is healthy. Hope everybody had a great weekend, a good Shabbat. Um, I want to send shots out to our affiliated schools, uh, all under the ISBHPK umbrella, uh, the brothers here in San Antonio, the brothers in H-Town, the brothers in Rochester, the brothers in VA, uh, our brothers uh, out in AVQ, the Kirk, our brothers in Cali, and shouts out to Cabo Cobb down in Guatemala, man. Uh, and shouts out, man, to the 12 tribes scattered worldwide, man, our brothers and sisters all throughout the globe. Uh, struggling to maintain, man, and to uphold righteousness, man, because that's what it's ultimately all about, y'all. That's what it really pretty much comes down to. Uh, If you were to read the Bible, man, if I was to give my take on the Bible, if I could pinpoint any chapter that uh, pretty much explains your walk in this thing we call call the truth, it would be Romans chapter 7, man. Um, which is one of my favorite chapters, but it pretty much details what this thing is all about, man. In that chapter, Paul talks about how he's at a consistent war between his spirit and his flesh, man. Because after you come into the knowledge of the truth and find out who you are, whom you are, that's what it's all about. It's now about you battling and going against yourself and making those necessary changes that you need to make in your life so you may be acceptable to the Most High, so you might be acceptable to Yahushua, man, because that's all Christ did. That's all Yahushua did was he denied his flesh. Even up to the the time of his death, his crucifixion, he constantly fought his flesh, and that's why he had to come in the flesh and yes, he did, countless scriptures prove this, to give us an example that we can overcome the flesh. Like he stated, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. A lot of us, uh, in the truth, man, we really don't seem to grasp the concept that we have to battle our flesh, man. And a part of battling your flesh is battling all the recorded memories from your flesh. And I'm talking about, you know, if you grew up, um, hopefully you didn't, but if you grew up and you were a victim of molestation, um, that's recorded in your flesh. And you carry that around even as an adult. And it affects you on your day-to-day whether you understand this consciously or subconsciously. Either way, man, um, I'm sorry. And let me apologize, too, man, before I finish my point. Um, I'm sorry, y'all, for the late start. I usually start at 10, man, but, uh, man, I I was up too damn late last night. Uh, So I got a late start. I'm I'm about 30 minutes behind. People hit me up for the link. I'm sorry, y'all. Let me shoot y'all the link.
Let me see. Yeah, Michelle already shouted out to Devin. Shalom, cuz, if you want here. I hope your morning getting off to a good start, man. Mashaba told me, too, man, that y'all uh, really had a good class on Sunday. Good Hebrew class, man. I don't know if y'all been getting the group thread, man, but check Mashaba out on Sunday. Um, he's doing the Paleo-Hebrew classes uh, from the ground up, man. So, very solid foundation. If you're here in the San Antonio area, man, you like check check Mashaba out. Man, go to the event centers in, in the event center in Roanoke's. I believe Mashaba gets started at about four four o'clock. So go to the event the event center in Roanoke's, man, and, and sit down live with the brother and uh, eat, man, eat. The uh, Hebrew classes, man, great classes. But anyway, back to my point, y'all. When I was saying that uh, your flesh records things, let me get my my uh, time on track, man. It's ten thirty nine. All right, cool, cool. Um, yeah, your flesh records things, and I was giving the example of molestation and how it plays a critical role in your relationships and your dealings uh, as far as intimacy goes subconsciously or consciously, whether you understand or not, it does. And the same applies for everything, man. If you were brought up in a, uh, a household where um, the majority of your meals were eaten out, you know, fast food baby, uh, mom never really cooked, she worked two jobs, or she just had no um, domestic uh, training in that uh, arena, to where you just ate a lot of fast food uh, as uh, youth also recorded in your flesh. And that's, those are, just to give an example, those are part of the things that we need to change. Uh, going back to uh, Romans chapter 7, this is what Paul talked about. Uh, but a lot of us think that the way we grew up, is, uh, nothing's wrong with it, you know. We think that the, the way we came up, we should pattern or that's the blueprint for us to raise our children, and it's not, y'all. It's not. Look at look at the damage that is done to you. You know, and a lot of us uh, we're so prideful, and we hold our uh, parents and whoever raised us in such high regards that we think that uh, we would be doing them a disservice or dishonoring them by not keeping their uh, uh, erroneous. Um, blueprint or uh, legacy going by raising our children the same way they raised us, man. And that is not the case. It ain't, man. It's a sickness. It's an illness if you're thinking like that. How could you possibly uphold that uh, that upbringing when nothing was biblical about it? They didn't teach you no parts of the Bible. They didn't teach you no, no, no uh, parts of the practicality of the Bible. But you want to hold on to that and then infuse that in, into your children. It's still into your children. And then they grow up with the same shortcomings that you got. What sense does that make, y'all? None. And then we always say this loosely as parents, well, I want my child to be better than me. Well, some of us say this anyway. Some of us still walk around with this ideology. I want, I want my child to be just like I, I was, just like me. You want all you want your child to have all the hiccups and shortcomings that you had? Why would you want that? 
Why would you want your child to go through the same mess that you went through, the same hard lessons that you had to learn? That don't even make sense. Come on, man. And I'm talking to us Israelites that are trying to live vicariously through our children. Why? You already had your damn life. If you want to live vicariously through your child, then show them the mistakes that you made and show them how not to make those exact same mistakes. How about that? How about we try that? Once again, y'all, and I'm getting on this soapbox just to say that after you learn that, you know, the Israelites are black, the Israelites are in the Western Hemisphere, uh, those of Negro, Indian, uh, so-called Latino descent, after you learn that, it's time for you to look at you in the mirror. That's what the Bible is about. That's what studying is about. It's time for you to look in the mirror now and start slicing and dicing yourself up with these scriptures so you can become a better person, a better mother, a better father, a better sister, a better brother, a better son, a better daughter. This is what this is what this is all about, y'all. I know y'all see the brothers street teaching and online teaching and talking about Esau this, Esau that, myself included, whitey this, whitey that. But they ain't what it's all about, y'all. Honestly, it ain't. And the reason brothers pull those scriptures, the reason I pull those scriptures and get on those topics is so that we could understand who, in fact, our enemy is. But let's not forget, and I do this from my perspective also, Esau was a twin. All right? Don't forget that, y'all. Meaning what? He was the counterpart of us. He was the opposite of us. But we have those tendencies that he has. Yeah, we righteous when we follow the law and statutes of, of the Most High. But when we're left to ourselves, when we're left to be to be the beast that we are, we act like Esau. Hell, we're worse than him. Worse than him. You don't believe me, man? Just look around. We do stuff among our nation, among our people that he don't. These are facts. Anyway, man, I'm saying all this to say that this is really what it's about, brothers and sisters. It ain't just about the knowledge. It ain't just about Esau the devil. It's about you changing you. The stuff that you know you need to change, man. With that understanding, let's get Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So be it, man. This is the prayer we need to be sending up on the daily so we can get the hell on this damn demonic place. Let's get Psalms chapter 118, verse 24. Psalms chapter 118 
verse 24, and it reads, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So good or bad, happy or sad, the most high about you to it, he's going to bring you through it, and you'll come out better on the other side because of it, y'all. Hope y'all believe that. This is true. Do your research. <laughs> I know I have. Uh, with that, too, man, I want to send shouts out to all the brothers and sisters, man, and uh, uh, the water, man, which means thank you, and Taylor Hebrew, for all the prayers that y'all been sending up for me and my family, man, and just the thoughts, man, and the phone calls I received, brothers calling to check in on me. Um, it really, it really uh, lets you know, man, uh, that you appreciate it. That's a good feeling, man. That is a good feeling. I think that, um, and I'm going to be honest with you, I think that's one of the things I struggle with the most is uh, not being appreciated, man. Uh, and I, I know that uh, that's the part of this walk, man, because your house shot was not appreciated, you know. For all the miracles that he did, I mean, who thanked him? Nobody. <laughs> who thanked him? Nobody, and it even tells you in the scripture it says a prophet is without is not without honor except in his own country, in his own city, his own family, man. And that was how I was shy. So who am I to think that I'm going to be appreciated? You know, but that's my confession. That's the thing that I I sometimes struggle with, uh, being appreciated, man. Being appreciated. Um. But back to what I was saying, man, the water. Thank you to all you brothers and sisters for your thoughts, for your prayers, for having me on your mind. Uh, Want to send a shout-out uh, to uh, my nephew, man, Baja. Man, uh, coming to his own, becoming a man, um, sent a shout-out uh, in appreciation to the show, uh, in appreciation for the show that I did last uh, Thursday on uh, FYI. Uh, nephew, I I got I got your uh, your compliment, man, and I appreciate. It. I I honestly didn't know you was listening, but I'm glad that you are, man. Uh, spread the word, man. Spread the word. Get more listeners. Um, and I do appreciate your uh, your support, man. Do appreciate your support, uh, as well as everybody that be listening in the blog talk, man. It, it never it never uh, ceases to amaze me, man. When we have gatherings and things of that nature, brothers be hitting me up. Be like, hey, man, that was that was a dope class. That was this. That was, I didn't even know brothers was listening. You know, all praise to the Most High. Uh, let me go ahead and get into it, y'all. If it's your first time tuning in to the show, man, welcome. Uh, we are Hebrew Israelites, and we definitely believe that we are the chosen people of the book. Uh, the we being the so-called blacks, Latinos, Native Americans throughout the four corners uh, of the world, um, specifically the Western Hemisphere, because uh, we know that the, tw- the 12 tribes chart is incomplete because Israel is scattered through all of the world, man. But we do identify as that. We are the people of the book. I uh, do about an hour of current events, uh, talks about soapbox, uh, and then I get into the class. The class this week is a continuation of a series I've been working on called Never Wax Pale, man. Man, I'm going to have to start uh, making some shirts, man. I really like the title Never Wax Pale. 
I've been on it for quite some time, y'all. I know y'all probably like, man, Tyler Pye still on that? Yeah, man, I'm just doing different segments, different parts of it. Uh, basically trying to break down the Bible from the start of the uh, captivities um, or the split of the kingdom, I should say, uh, that happened around 930 B.C., man, and bringing us all the way up to the New Testament. So if it's your first time tuning in, that's what we do. That's what I do. Um also check out Mashaba on his days when he gets busy. He's uh, currently doing a very dynamic series entitled uh, Denying Christ, man. Check the brother out, as well as Bada Bye on Friday uh, Night Breakdowns. So let me get into it, y'all. This is uh, from NPR, and the headline reads, let me pull it up real quick. Let me see. So I'm, I guess I'm going to 1230 since I started 30 minutes behind. So I'm just trying to adjust real quick my time, y'all, get my time together. But uh, it reads, China owns, owns uh, 300,000 acres of land in the U.S. Here's, uh, here's where. So and if y'all tuned in uh, last Thursday, I was going over uh, the relationship, the historical relationship between the U.S. and China, dealing with the opium wars, man. And um, in light of the U.S. calling China out for uh, supplying the U.S. with fentanyl or the materials to make fentanyl and just showing uh, the, hip, the hypocrisy of the U.S. behind that, and then here they go again trying to call China out on something that they basically have done all across the globe. So uh, it says, in 2021, a Chinese company bought land near an Air Force base in Grand Forks, uh, North Dakota, sending lawmakers into a frenzy. Lawmakers fear that China which many policymakers view as a strategic adversary, even though it's the country's top trading partner outside North America, could gain control over the U.S. food and energy supply, as well as hold on markets and critical infrastructure. So they're scared now that China's basically going to take over because y'all have allowed them to buy all these things. You know, it's like I brought out last week in Obadiah. It says, all the men of thy confederacy have brought thee to the border, meaning that you've allowed all these people, these nations that you were at war with, to come over to America and lay right up in your country and set up traps for you, man. In the scriptures, it goes on to say in Obadiah, there's no understanding in him, and there isn't. The stuff that Esau does don't make sense. You go out and make war with people. You think this is gonna forget? <laughs> yeah, right. You 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 don't forget. Hell, you still celebrating damn Fourth of July in nine eleven. Meanwhile, telling us to forget about slavery. Anyway, reading on. Lawmakers fear that China, which many uh, policymakers view as a strategic adversary, even though it's the top. Uh, trading partner outside North America could gain control of the U.S. food and energy supply as well as hold on markets and crucial infrastructure. Although Chinese-owned land is a tiny fraction of all foreign-owned land in the U.S., 
its purchases have raised fear that the Chinese government could have control through the Chinese corporations. So it's not the government that owns uh, land that they're complaining about. It's the Chinese companies, which is one and the same. Just like American companies, man, uh, when they uh, basically colonialized Cuba uh, back in the uh, 40s and 50s and opened up those casinos, you had U.S. companies over there uh, like the Dole Fruit Company and uh, I forgot the name of the coffee company. They was over there too, man. Um, but they all represented the, where they were from, their government, the, America, the Americas, the U.S. No different than these Chinese corporations represent China, one and the same. All right, reading on, it says, uh, over U.S. assets or gain access to U.S. base. Hold on, let me read this again in context. Although Chinese-owned land is a tiny fraction of all foreign-owned land in the U.S., its purchases have raised fears that the Chinese government could have control through the Chinese corporations over U.S. assets or gain access to U.S.-based information. Indeed, during the past four decades, Chinese companies and inventors, I'm sorry, investors have brought up land, bought up land in the U.S. as well as purchased major food companies like Smithville Foods, the United States' largest pork processor, corporations um, own the majority of the land. Now legislation in Congress will restrict Chinese ownership of U.S. land. Hmm. I don't know that we know for sure all the foreign land that potentially is owned by Chinese individuals or folks controlled by the Chinese government. Senator John Tesler, Democrat, Montana, who is skeptical of Chinese land ownership in the U.S. co-NPR. So they don't even know how much land China owns in the U.S., man. Ain't that something? I told you, man. I don't understand this, dude. This dude is stupid. Let's get Obadiah chapter 1. Obadiah chapter 1, y'all. It's only one chapter anyway. And I want to get verse, let's start at verse 1. It says, the vision of Obadiah. Thus said the Lord God concerning Edom. All right? Talking about the so-called white men. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise, ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. So, this ambassador is sent among the heathen. Then what is he talking about doing? Rising up against Esau in battle, going to war with the so-called white man. And the heathen is talking about the other nations. So the other nations are all going to conspire <coughs> against Esau, the so-called white man, and they're going to go to war. The Bible's telling us this. because This is the vision of Obadiah. So this has not happened yet. But it's coming to a, a, a world near you, <laughs> coming to this world. Anyway, verse 2, behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Now, this is what Obadiah is prophesying. He said, Esau, the so-called white man, has been made small among the heathen. Listen to this. 
Thou art greatly despised. That's the part I'm going to get to. They are greatly despised, man. Who don't hate the so-called white man? Who don't hate him? Every nation hates him. Why? Always taking stuff. He always stealing stuff. He's always colonializing something. This is why he's hated. He's hated with good reason. Because he's a thief. Nobody likes a thief, man. Nobody likes a thief. Yeah, if you ever had your car broken too, your house broken too, or been stuck up, robbed at gunpoint, man, you hated that happened to you and you hated the people that perpetrated it, man. Nobody likes a damn thief, man, because you work hard for your stuff, for your possessions. You don't want somebody to just take it. Something you didn't work 10, 12, 20 years for somebody just in 30 seconds or 30 minutes, they take it, steal it from you. Like I said, man, he, people have good reasons to hate him. Anyway, going back to Obadiah, verse 2, it says, Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen, thou art greatly despised. The pride of thy heart have deceived thee. What is deceiving Esau, the so-called white man? It's his pride, man. It's his arrogance that nobody is going to bring him down, that nobody is going to uh, disable destabilize his country like he's did to other people's country. He has this in his head. But it says in verse 3, it says, the pride of thy heart have deceived thee. You're deceived, mister. People are fed up. And guess what? People are not peasants anymore. These nations that you've overthrown and colonialized and doped out for a century, they didn't woke up. They didn't got smart to your tactics. In fact, they didn't took pages out of your book. They're using your own blueprint against you. We'll read again, verse 3. The pride of thy heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwelleth in the clefts of the rock. I love the Bible, man, because it gives us context clues to let, let you know who the hell they're talking about. Who dwells in rocks, also known as caves? Who are the cave dwellers? Who's in the end thoughts? It's funny. Labia. She always watching nigga stuff on TV. That's why I call it, man. So she watching the VT Awards last night, and they had they did the tribute to Buster Rhymes, and I'm from that era, man. So I had I was compelled to sit down, and check them out. Anyway, he gave me a little speech, man, and I was surprised to hear him say this, and it was crazy because the crowd got quiet as hell. He was talking about uh, us doing stuff for us, and how. Uh, we're 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 the people that everybody's trying to be like, basically. But then he said, "You've never seen a black caveman." <laughs> man, I was like, "Whoa, okay, okay, Buster." He said, "You never seen a black caveman." He's right because we weren't those people. We're reading about those people right here. They're the Neanderthals. They were the cavemen. Let me read this again, verse three: "The pride of thy heart hath deceived thee." Thou that dwelleth in the clefts of the rocks. This is why they call themselves Caucasians, which means cave dwellers. Uh, they're also known as trilodites, which also means cave dwellers. These are them. This is who it's talking about. Like I said, the Bible dropped these context clues. People read right over. It says, whose habitation is high. This is why they live in skyscrapers and high buildings. 
This is why they always want to be up high. It says that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? And this is America's thought process. They think nobody's going to bring them down. Well, China is giving you a run for your money, partner. It says, uh, verse 4, Though thou exalt exalt thyself as the eagle, and if people don't see this, man, you can't make them see it. They act like the Bible is just going to come out and tell you who the characters are present day. The Bible does not work like that because the names of people have been changed. Esau did this. You know, when you can when you can control uh, the world and you can control history and you can control the names that people go by, people think they're just going to pick up the Bible and be like, oh, yep, there's a white man. This is what it says right here. It says America. America's it right there. No, <laughs> idiots. <laughs> the Bible does not work like that. It gives you very distinct context clues that you might be able to piece it together and find out who is who in the Bible. And that's why it says, verse 4, Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle. So you look at the so-called white man, whether he was the French, the British, I'm sorry, let me start over, whether he was the Greeks, the Romans, the Spanish, the French, the British, they all exalted uh, themselves and used what as their emblems? The bald eagle. Well, sorry, the eagle. America chose to use the bald eagle, but it's the same. They're one and the same. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, this will I bring thee down, said the Lord. So the setting of the nest of the stars, man, this is talking about all Esau's satellites that he's placed in the space. Because remember, uh, and I don't get it right now, but in Isaiah, the I think it's the 14th chapter, where it says, uh, I, will, I will sit above the stars of heaven, I will be like the most high. That was talking about him, y'all. And it was talking about him sending his stars, which is his satellites, <laughs> in the heavens so he could see what everybody is doing. Big Brother is watching, the eagle in the sky, right? Because the eagle is known for what? It's vision. I hope everybody can see this. We won't be just making stuff up, man, when we be breaking down who Esau is. These are all factual things, things all factual clues you can connect dots to find out who Esau is. Anyway, let me move on to the next article. Uh, what I do with it? Here it is. Bam. Trip off of this one, y'all. I don't know why I opened it up twice. Colbatch says trans Kansas IDs will be changed back to their sex assigned at birth. So this Kobach dude, I believe, is some type of a politician. But he said in his state, he's changing them letter people's uh, credentials back to their originals. All right. He says uh, the Kansas Attorney General, oh, he's Attorney General, downplayed uh, expected changes to transgender residents use of bathrooms and other facilities. Transgender Kansas who legally changed the gender of um gender on their driver's license. Oh let me read it again, y'all. Transgender Kansans 
who legally change the gender of their driving license or birth certificate will soon see them changed back by the state. Attorney General Chris Kobach said, oh, he's Attorney General. Um, Kobach said Monday that an ex- an, expan- an expansion, expansive new Kansas law defining male and female according to a person's biological characteristics requires state agencies to maintain records in line with a person's sex assigned at birth. Man, let's let's get Esau a round of applause right here. I guess you do got some type of morality in you. Anyway, we know it says trans Kansas will still be able to vote and drive using their uh, current IDs, but future IDs will show their gender at birth. Birth certificates don't have to be given back to the state, but the Kansas Department of Health and Environment, Environmental Oh, sorry, environment will change its records. Those changes will be then. Those changes will then be reflected on any subsequent birth certificates issued. So if they making them go back to what they are, man. Like I say, a round of applause for Esau, man. Let's get uh, Habakkuk or Habakkuk. Uh, chapter two, and let me start at verse ten, and it reads, "Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people." So once again, talking about Esau and the shame that he's consulted to his nation by cutting off other nations, you know, colonialism and uh, big, uh, big uh, government uh, corporate corruption, the whole nine. It says, and has sinned against thy soul. This is the part I want to get to. For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. So this is basically talking about Esau's nation, his people, his infrastructure, and that's why it's using uh, a building. And this is metaphorically, y'all. It's talking about his people starting to speak out against its own nation, against its own people, man. This is how you really know their time is up because you're having people speak out like this uh, attorney, attorney general in Kansas, like, man, no, nah, these cats got to go back to what they were assigned at birth, man. Because when, when you came out and they saw your genitalia, hey, this is a male child, boom, on your birth certificate. This is a female child, boom, on your birth certificate. He's saying they got to go back to that. Rightly so, man. So I can respect that. All right, let's move on. Let's get the next one. Let's uh, close that up. Let's get this one. All right, the next one. Listen to this, y'all. The Supreme Court won't let a North Carolina uh, charter school force girls to wear skirts to school. Y'all hear this, right? Read it again, and this is from AP, Washington News. The Supreme Court won't let a North Carolina charter school force girls to wear skirts to school. So 
this charter school, excuse me, y'all, this charter school was trying to make it mandatory for all this girl um, students to wear skirts to school. But the Supreme Court told them they couldn't do it. This is straight demonic. This is straight uh, anti the most high. This is straight anti-Christ. Because we know what the Bible says. We're going to get it here in a minute. I'm going to read a little bit more of this article, y'all. Hmm. All right, it says, the Supreme Court on Monday left in place an appellate ruling barring a North Carolina public charter school from requiring girls to wear skirts to school. The justices declined without comment to hear an appeal from the charter school, from the charter day school in the eastern North Carolina town of Leland. So they didn't even give them appeal. It's like, nah, they helped your appeal. Can't, don't y'all see the agenda that they push in here, man? Like I said, like well, like the Bible says, there's no understanding in this dude. They're trying to get everybody on this letter people crap, man. And what people are not saying is the, the bigger picture, man. Parents, I want y'all to understand this. If y'all have children that are letter, letter children, letter people, Y'all ain't going to have no grandkids. You're not going to have no grandkids, man. For as much as you might want grandkids, you ain't going to have none. A lot of people's lineage is going to be cut off behind this damn letter people agenda. I don't know if people really understand this. And then they they, then they, they, they try to be so slick and think they're going to outwit the most high. They say, okay, well, I'm going to give me a test tube, baby, then. That's popular right now. A lot of these damn test tube babies running around. And I honestly feel sorry for the kids because they don't know who the hell their daddy is. They don't even have an origin. They don't have a beginning. So now you're going to have a whole other group of mentally ill people walking around traumatized by the fact that everybody else got a daddy, but they ain't got no daddy. Mama, who my daddy? What you going to tell these kids, man? I, I would like to be a fly on the wall to sit in that conversation to hear what the hell you're going to tell these kids about who their daddy is. When they see all the rest of the kids at school got a daddy, and then they walking up here with your ass and your dyke, what you going to tell these kids? I'm sorry, y'all. Hold on for a second. I got to adjust. I hope y'all can hear me loud and clear, man. I just saw that my damn mic was not even plugged in all the way. Yeah, but like I said, man, what you going to tell these kids? And you know what's going to happen? You know how they always do. They'll start their own little community of test tube babies. And they'll be walking around having visuals and meetings and all this other crap. It's really sad, man. But what I'm trying to get people to to uh, understand is your lineage is going to be cut off by this. Anyway, going back to the article, um, the Supreme Court on Monday left in place an appellate ruling barring a North Carolina public charter school from requiring girls to wear skirts to school. The justices declined without comment to hear an appeal 
from the Charter Day School in the eastern North Carolina town of Leland. The water lobby, y'all. A federal appeals court had ruled that the school's dress code violated students' constitutional rights. <laughs> school founder Barker Mitchell had said the dress code was intended to promote chivalry by the male students and respect for the female students, according to court documents. Ain't that something, man? They trying to do a good thing. They're trying to promote chivalry among their male students, man. You know, I'm, I got to steal this from, uh, who was that that said? One of them could be either Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle. No, Dave Chappelle said this in his special, Killing Them Softly. He said, chivalry is dead, <laughs> and women killed it. <laughs> and it's true, man. It's true. Women killed it because of their wanting to be a man. They want to be in the role of a man, dress like a man, look like a man. This, this is why the school had to go out on a limb and say, man, no, y'all are little girls. Y'all are feminine spirits, and y'all need to look as such. Maybe if you look at such, men wouldn't disrespect you the way they disrespect you. You know, and this is why the kingdom of the Most High has to come back. Because that's what this world has turned to, man, where you see the women uh, half-dressed running around, parading themselves as whores, but they say they want respect when you're wearing a whore's uniform. Come on, man. With these damn yoga, yoga and stretch pants, I'm sick of them. Everywhere you go, leaving nothing to the imagination. Camel toes everywhere. Like, you can't even focus on what you're doing. Like, damn. But this is the world that Esau created, man. This is what this world's coming to. But this school, in an attempt to have some type of morality and to teach their students to have some type of morality, wanted to have their female students wear dresses. Now, what would be, what's wrong with that? Yes, what's wrong with that? Let me read on. School founder Baker Mitchell had said the dress code was intended to promote chivalry by the male students and respect for the female students, according to court documents. The dress code already has been changed to allow girls to wear pants in line with the lower court ruling. Y'all see this? They forcing, they going to force this school to put girls in pants. And guess who brought the damn complaint against the school in the first place? Yep, you guessed it, the damn parents. The damn parents, man, because you know they own this, this uh, lot of people crap, man. This, man. And it's crazy, too, man. Um, when you come into the truth, the first people that come against you are your relatives, your parents, your friends, especially with women. Girl, why you got to wear a skirt? Everywhere you, you go, you're wearing a skirt now. Uh, the Bible, no, and the first thing that, you know, show the, show the sisters the scriptures, that which we're about to get to. Matter of fact, let's go there. Uh, let's get Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy 22 and 5. 
Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. So what belongs to a man that a woman shouldn't wear? Pants, y'all. Pants. You know, and I, I've said this before, and I know my granny probably did, but I didn't see her a lot in pants. Devin, because if you are here, I don't remember seeing uh, great auntie Irma Lee wearing pants either, at least not on a reg- regular basis. I don't remember seeing a lot of that. When you go back and you look at uh, the 1920s or the 18th century, and you will see women wearing dresses, man, dresses. But over time, they got corrupted. Then you start seeing women pop up in pants towards the end of the 1950s, going into the 60s. Women started wearing pants. And then you know what, what started to happen? You start having uh, women wanted to uh, wanted um, the same jobs as men. Women wanted uh, to get paid like a man. Women wanted to uh, wear the pants in the family. You know that that's a that's a real saying, y'all. That man, I wear the pants in the family. What does that mean? And we use we use it so so loosely, man. We use those idioms so loosely, but they really have meaning. If you say you wear the pants in the family, you're saying that you're the authority, that you make the decisions. You see why the Most High said a, a woman shouldn't wear which pertaining to a man. It wasn't just the, uh, the, 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 the cosmetics of it. It's more on a spiritual level because if she started wearing things that belong to a man, then she's going to start to think she's a man. Why the hell you think you get these little people dressing up in these clothing of the opposite sex? They're trying to become something that they want to be. And the, 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 the uh, quickest way to do that is to put on the costume of something that you want to be. It's no different than when you was, you was a child and you wanted to be a Superman or Spider-Man character or whatever. You you made you some you made you some type of damn costume from the stuff you had at the house, whether it be your pajamas, a uh, 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 jacket you had somewhere, you wrapped it around you as a cape. You probably cut a couple holes in your socks as a mask or something like that. You put on the outfit because you had to get into character the things that you wanted to be. It's no different with dress code, man. This is why the Most High said this. It's the whole spirit behind it. Because once you put on that costume, you become what you're trying to be. Read this again, Deuteronomy 22 and 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertain unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord. Now listen to the definition of abomination, y'all. It says something regarded with disgust or hatred. So for the most high God, the God of the Bible, to see a woman wearing pants, he's disgusted at that. He hates you. This is what it's saying, man. The most high hates you if you're a woman running around in damn pants. And like I was saying earlier, man, 
a lot of our women were raised by their mothers to roll like men. And it all starts with the dress code. It all starts with the dress code. Don't tell me Tyler Pye, you foster, you reaching. Tyler Pye, you know what you talk about. I've done the research. I, I currently live with one. Yes, it took her a long time before she got rid of all them damn pants. But guess what's still there? That managed spirit. That managed is still there. Be it be damn uh, Tyson Holyfield going on up in here on a lot of occasions because I'm still wrestling with that spirit. People think something as, as small as dress code don't really matter. It does matter, y'all. It does matter. This is why, like I said, these letter people, the first thing they do is change the way they dress. It's the whole spirit of it. But once again, the Most High said that this is an abomination to him. This is something that he hates or he regards with disgust. And these people be having the audacity to say, well, God loves me anyway. God loves me no matter what. No, he does not love you. He does not love you. He's disgusted at your mere presence. You're running around. With this faggoty attitude, this dykish attitude, and dress, and lifestyle, God hates you, man. But being as merciful as he is, he gave you a way to come back from it. He gave you a way to repent from it. And that's your house shot, who the world knows is Christ. Because Christ said all manner of sin will be forgiven. But you got to repent. You got to change. You can't keep living and doing the stuff that you're doing, man. I want us to understand this. All right, man, let me get the last article uh, before I get into the class. And Mashaba sent me this. The water, I, this, is a, uh, this is a good article. This is from The Hill. This is from a publication known as The Hill. And the headline reads, First lab-grown meat approved by regulators in U.S. So here it is, y'all. Boom. They growing meat. And, you know, when I was reading this, I'm like, oh, they finally announced it to the world. They've been doing this. I remember when they was growing down uh, breasts on the backs of rats. They was been growing body parts on rats for, for years now. And I think it may be some clone people walking around, honestly. Hell, I just seen some matter of fact, and Shabba sent me that too. This was on TikTok where they got some damn, bi- some type of biological ink. And they created, uh, what the hell was it they created? Oh, damn, I forget. They created an animal or something, man. From a, uh, a 3D printer and some biological ink, man. They've been doing this. They've been doing this, man. But I want y'all to understand this as I get into Matter of fact, let me just get into it. It says regulators have approved lab-grown meat to be sold in the United States for the first time at restaurants and eventually in supermarkets. The Agriculture Department approved two California companies Wednesday, Upside Foods and Good Meat 
to sell chicken made from animal cells instead of slaughtered animals. Companies have been working to try to launch this form of meat uh, production to reduce harm to animals and the environment effects of grazing, growing food for animals, and animal waste. So you're trying to eliminate eliminate the ecosystem, basically, because everything they're trying to eliminate is natural. An animal grazing, eating uh, grass, that's natural. Growing food, natural. <laughs> animals, the, the, the waste from the animals, that's natural, part of the ecosystem. Because who's going to eat the doo-doo? All the damn insects that eat doo-doo that God created to eat the waste. And the filthy pig. That's what he was created for. I hope everybody is seeing this. Now, before everybody uh, get all swooped and get on the veg, be on the veggie tip and trying to be a broccoli head and go vegan, or I'm a vegetarian, and see, that's why I don't eat so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. Because I know a lot of us are sticklers for that, man. Oh, meat is this. They, they processing that. They're processing everything, y'all. They're man-making man everything. Monsanto should have showed y'all that with them damn seeds that they've been creating for for decades. Matthew chapter 24, man. Um, verse 22. And except those days should be shortened, what days? The last days. Because when you read Matthew 24, let me, let me jump up a little bit. Uh, it says, verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Uh, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. Matter of fact, that ain't the part I want to get to. Hold on, wait, wait a minute, y'all. Bear with me. Uh, it says, here it is, verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So the disciples wanted to know, when was going to be the end of the world, man? And Christ breaks down in this chapter and gives them signs to look for to let them know that the end of the world was coming and that he was on his way back, the second return of Christ. Right? Now jump down to verse 22. Read this again. Now we understand that. It says, and except those days should be shortened. What days? The last days. The signs we're supposed to be looking for that Christ is coming back. So Christ is saying, except he shortens those days, the time period of him coming back, lest he shortens and makes it sooner, it says, and I ain't going to even say he, unless the most high shortens him to make him sooner, because in this very same chapter, Christ said he don't know when he's coming back. You can't pinpoint that. Verse 22 again, and except those days should be shortened, then you know the days are going to be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. So Christ said, except the most high, the most high does not shorten the times that we're living in. Ain't nobody going to survive, man. Nobody's going to live. I hope y'all understand what the, 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 
the meaning of this, the weight behind what Christ is saying. He's letting us know the earth is going to get so bad, and the people that run it are going to be doing so much abominable things, so much hurtful, normal things to the food, to the atmosphere, to the water, to everything. He's letting us know they're going to destroy this place, and if the most high God of the Bible does not shorten the time, none of us are going to make it out of here. I want us to understand this. Before we get stressed out about going to the grocery store more than we're already stressed out because of the high-ass grocery prices, now you get stressed out about, should I buy this meat? Or should I not buy this meat? Should I eat meat or should I, should I, should I just be a, a broccoli head and eat vegetables? They're genetically modifying the vegetables and fruits too, y'all. And y'all y'all can go to hell if y'all running around and, and putting y'all, all y'all eggs in this, this label that says organic. I personally don't believe there's on the face of the planet that's organic right now. Everything's been tampered with. If it's not the air and all the damn chemtrails that's in the air, it's all the damn plastic that they wrapping stuff in. Have y'all noticed that every damn thing we buy is covered in plastic wrap from water to food? Everything's got plastic on it. Even when you go and buy your meat at the grocery store, it's got that damn little tray but what's covering it up? That plastic saran wrap. Do y'all know all the damn particles that's in plastic that they they say cause cancer? Have y'all really thought about that? If you think you just gonna go live in a bubble, man, and I know I'm going ham right now, and I have to do this because people be trying to just be over righteous, man not understanding the condition that we're in right now. It's like that movie High Learning where Ice Cube told, I forgot who it was, might have been Buster Rhymes' character. He said, we're behind enemy lines, dog. And we are, y'all. We're behind enemy lines. What does that mean? We're in a hostile environment. We might not make it. We're hostages. Now, I'm not saying you should just go buck wild either and just put whatever in your mouth. Do your research. Oh, he said it's an Omar Epps. <laughs> the water. <laughs> Do your research on stuff, man, and then you make an intelligent decision on what you're going to put in your body, man. But for you going around thinking that uh, you can avoid certain uh, things, certain chemicals, Nah, ain't none of us avoiding that. Let me read this again. Matthew chapter 20, uh, 24, verse 22. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And I'm going to go back to this. I'm going to put this on y'all. For us Israelites, I know a lot of us, our children uh, have not been vaccinated. I know mine have not. (laughs) But we have. I'm a 70s kid, 1972. Mashaba, I know you got vaccinated as well. And a lot of other our listeners. 
we got that poison in our veins. It's still in our bloodstream. Still here, though. But that's by the grace of the Most High. That is by the grace of the Most High. And it ain't just us here in the state. Go and talk to our brothers and sisters from the islands and look at their arms. Almost all of them got this mark, the same distinctive mark on their arms from the vaccinations that they got from whatever island that they went to. Do y'all research. And let me read this. Let's get Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah chapter 24, verse 5. And it reads, the earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof. What does this mean? The earth is defiled. To be defiled means to be polluted. Let you know the whole earth is polluted under the inhabitants, meaning what? The people that live here, the people that control the earth. Job 9.24, the earth is given to the hand of the wicked. These people that are in charge, they have defiled the earth. Reading on. Because they have transgressed the laws. It even goes as far as to tell us how the earth got defiled. What laws did they transgress? Well, you're supposed to form produce, vegetation, form that land for six years and let it rest on the seventh year so it can replenish. But what does Esau do? Esau uses every square inch of land to form whatever crop on consistently. And you know why they're doing this also, y'all? Why they have to create these these, uh, meats and why they got to put everything in plastic and give people cancer is a form of population control. It's too many people on the earth, y'all. I don't know if y'all know that. I should have brought the damn number up. Mashaba, if you could bring that number up for me, how many people on the earth, I would greatly appreciate it, because I'm going to get to that population control in a second. But let me read this again, Isaiah 24, verse 5. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws. And there's many laws to agriculture. There's many laws to dealing with animals, all contained in the Bible. Esau's broke, the so-called white man's broke every last one of them. And this is why the earth is in the state that it is now. It's defiled. It says change the ordinances. The word ordinances means order. They change the natural order of things. This is why the earth is in such a condition that it is in now. And now they're trying to be like they are. I always say this. They're trying to do what they always do, even in movies. They want to be the villain and the hero all in the same narrative. Y'all destroyed the earth. Now y'all trying to come back and say, oh, no. We're we, we going to uh, save the earth. So now everybody's talking about damn uh, uh, electric vehicles now. And now now there's a race to get to own lithium mines. What's the damn effects of, of, of lithium? I'm sure it's some type of damn uh, effect that lithium is going to have on the environment. What's going to be the carbon footprint of that? The water, Mashaba, it's currently, y'all, it is 7.888 billion people on the face of the planet as of 2021. That's a lot of damn people. So this is why 
they have to give you cancer and all these other ailments that you have by way of what? Food, by way of uh, 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 liquids in the form of water, whether it be uh, the spring water, the tap water, um, the uh, drinks, the water drinks that they got, the flavored water at the store, or whatever beverage you might be drinking, man. Look at the ingredients of it. All of it is designed to kill you or give you some time, some damn form of cancer. All right, reading on in uh, Isaiah chapter 24, verse 5, the earth also defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, have the curse devoured the earth. The earth is cursed right now. It says, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Without hope, lonely. <laughs> it says, therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. Remember that population control I was talking about? It's going to be few men left, y'all. But the most high is down with this, though. I'm going to prove it to y'all. But let me get this one first. No, I ain't got time. Let me jump t- straight to the point. Um Let's get Matthew chapter 25. Let's get Matthew chapter 25. Just, I got to go. I got to show that the Most High is, is definitely down with population control. All right. People don't like to hear that. Not my Jesus. Not my God. If you subscribe to the Bible, this is what your God, your Jesus, has in mind. So uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory. Now, this is Christ speaking, but this ain't happened yet. But he let you know this was going to happen when he comes, the second return of Christ, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. So those billions that I just read about, matter of fact, let me get it again, that 7.888 billion, is more, more than likely it's more people now, those billions of people, he going to gather all of them. This is Christ. Yo, Jesus, if you subscribe to the Bible. It says, and he shall separate them one from another. Is he going to bring all people together? Yeah, you're going to bring them all together. But what's going to happen when everybody gets brought together? You're getting separated. Now watch this. He shall separate them from uh, one from another as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. And he shall sit, set the sheep on his right hand with the goats on the left. So some people won't be on right, some people won't be on left. He's dividing people. Watch this, verse 20, uh, 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now this he's talking to the Israelites. They're going to be getting into the kingdom. But even within us, even amongst us, there's still going to be population control. So he's going to divide all the nations up. Set them up. He's going to uh, divide the Israelites up, set us up. There's going to be a distinction. Now, watch this. 
Let's go back to Obadiah. Obadiah, lots of day. Uh, Obadiah chapter 1, verse 9. It says, And thy mighty men of Teman shall be dismayed. Now listen, it says shall. This ain't happened yet. To the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. So it's letting you know that these people known as Edom, we know them as so-called white men, it says they're going to be cut off. This is what? Population control. I hope y'all seeing this. Let me get Amos 9 and 12. It says that, matter of fact, let me start at verse 11. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle. So this ain't happened yet due to prophecy. I'll raise up the tabernacle of David that is falling. It's talking about us being raised back up. It says, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins and will build it as in the days of old. So us coming into power, our kingdom being built back up. Verse 12 that they may possess the remnants of Edom. It says that, so in Obadiah said that Esau is going to be cut off, but we find out in Amos, there's going to be some of them left. It's going to be a remnant of Esau left, and the children of God, the Israelites, are going to possess them. Now listen to this. And of all the heathen, let me read it in context, let me read it again that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen. So we're going to also possess the other nations. But remember, a lot of them going to die off. Population control. It says, which are called by my name, said the Lord, that doeth this. Now, let's jump to Zechariah chapter 13 now. In verse 8. Like I told y'all, there's going to be a population control even amongst Israel. Bear with me, y'all. So Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8, and it reads... And it shall come to pass that in all the land, said the Lord, shall come to pass. This has not happened yet. Two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. There's going to be one-third of Israel left, but two-thirds got to die. Once again, population control. How you know it's talking about the Israelites? I'm going to read on. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. Some of the Israelites and population control, will Christ come back, man? So the whole world is going to experience this population control. The Most High is definitely down with population control. I hope y'all see this, man. All right, y'all. So that's the news. That's the current events. I'm going to move on and jump into my class, y'all, titled Never Wax Pale, The Birth of Christ. 
and its significance. Other side of this brief intermission, y'all. Captivity, 
Persian Mede captivity, the Greek captivity, and now we're all the way up dealing with the Roman captivity and the significance of Christ being born to save us out of that captivity like the most has always done. He's always sent the Savior. Let's go to First uh, Kings chapter 8 and verse 46 to continue proving that. It says, if they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not, and thou be angry with them, and the day is talking about us, the Israelites. So it says, if we sin against the Heavenly Father, he says, for there is no man that sinneth not, and thou be angry with them. And he's definitely angry with us. While we've been in captivity, while we is we in this captivity, he says, and deliver them to the enemy. So who who always would put us in the enemy's hands? The most high would, for us being disobedient. It says, so that they carried them away captives into the land of the enemy far or near. Yet, if in our captivity, y'all, we're always in different lands. The Most High would always, he would send an occupation, he would send a foreign force to occupy our land, then eventually he would take us out of the land. That's why it says far or near. Verse 47. Yet, if they bethink themselves in the land, whether they were carried captives and repent, so if we say, oh, man, we've been tripping, we've got to turn back to the Most High, repent means to change. It says, and make supplications unto thee in the land of them that carried them captives, saying, so in land of our captivities, we have sinned and have done perversely. We have committed wickedness. And so return unto thee with all their heart, all our mind, and with all their soul in the land of their enemies, which led them away captive, and pray unto thee toward their land, which is Israel, which thou gavest unto their fathers, the city, Jerusalem, which thou hast chosen, and the house, the temple of Solomon, which I have built for thy name. Verse 49, watch this. Then hear thou their prayer and their supplication in heaven, thy dwelling place, and maintain their cause, and forgive thy people that have sinned against thee, and all their transgressions wherein they have transgressed against thee. And give them compassion before them who carry them captive, that they may have compassion on them. You see this? <laughs> that they might, the most high, he said that we should be praying for this, for them to have compassion on us. So praying, praying to the most high, that the most high will put the spirit on them, that they may have compassion on us. Verse 51. For they be thy people and thy inheritance, which thou broughtest forth out of Egypt from the midst of the furnace of the iron, that thy eyes may be open unto the supplications of thy servant and unto the supplication of thy people, Israel, to hearken unto them in all that they call for unto thee. Uh, let me see how far I want to read that. Let me keep going. Verse 53. For thou didst separate them from among all the people of the earth. You see this? Israel was never joined together with all people. So Israel's not going to be joined together with all people in salvation. It says, uh, of the earth, to be thy inheritance as thou spake it by the hand of Moses, 
thy servant when thou brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. All right, so I read this to show that Israel have been in many captivities, and the Most High would always send us a Savior. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, because now that we understand what we just read in Kings, let's get the significance of this. Uh, let's get Luke chapter 1. Let me start at verse 1. For as much as many people have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. So this is the gospel according to Luke. And what Luke is saying is that these things have been declared among us. Look at the terminology he's using. Who's the us? The Israelites. Verse 2. It says, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses. And what he's talking about is all our prophets, all the the books of the Old Testament, all the brothers and sisters that were eyewitnesses of the Most High, witnesses of our captivities, witnesses of the saviors that he would send to get us out of those captivities. Reading on, and ministers of the word. It seemeth good to me also, having made perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. So you might ask yourself, who the hell is Luke writing to? Who is this Theophilus dude? Now, look this dude up, y'all. Let me get it. Uh, Let me go to another tab. Here we go. Let me go back. All right, this is from Wikipedia, y'all. And I'm going to jump down to the part where it says Coptic View. All right? And we're finding out who this cat Theophilus was. And it says, uh, Coptic tradition asserts that Theophilus was a person and not an honorary title. So Luke was writing to an actual person named Theophilus. It says the Coptic church claims that the person was a Jew of Alexandria. Y'all hear this, right? So this brother, Theophilus, even though he's got not a Hebrew name, a Greek name, he was, in fact, a Jew. It says uh, similar, John Wesley, in his notes on the New Testament, recorded that Theophilus was a person of immense quality at uh, immense quality at Alexandria, which he understood to be the tradition of the ancients. So this cat, Theophilus, it says that he was one of the Jews of Alexandria. So let's get this. Who were the Jews of Alexandria? Now watch this. This is from Wiki 2. It says, History of the Jews in Alexandria. So you had Jews or you had Israelites that were in Alexandria. It says the history of the Jews in Alexandria dates back to the founding of the city by Alexander the Great, 
That's who it was named after, the, under the Greeks. It says in 332 BCE. Now, what this is talking about, y'all, is Alexandria, Egypt. All right? I haven't done extensive research to prove it, but they say that Josephus was from Alexandria, Egypt. Now, reading on, it says Jews in, the, in Alexandria played a critical role in the political, economic, culture, and religious life of Hellenistic and Roman Alexandria. So you had Jews or Israelites that was all involved in uh, Roman life there in Alexandria. And Alexandria eventually became a providence of Rome. It used to be a providence uh, of the Greeks when they were in power. But under, uh, who was that? Uh, da, 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 da. Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar, during, during uh, the time of Julius and Augustus Caesar, because um, Julius had an affair with, uh, he actually had a kid with Cleopatra of the um, Ptolemaic dynasty, a white woman. So they had a kid, but um, Alexandria was eventually colonized and became the providence of Rome, not Greece, all right? But they still spoke Greece, uh, Greek. The Romans themselves spoke Greek and Latin. On, it says, uh, let me read again, Jews in Alexandria play a critical role in the political, economic, cultural, and religious life of Hellenistic and Roman Alexandria. With Jews comprising about 35% of the city's population during the Roman era. So there was a lot of Israelites that was in Alexandria, Egypt. Alexandria Jewry were the founders of Hellenistic Judaism. Y'all hear this? Hellenistic Judaism. Basically, our culture mixed with the Greek culture. It says, and the first to translate the Torah from Hebrew to Cohen Greek, a document known as the Septuagint. We went over this. So the Septuagint actually got its original origination in Alexandria, Egypt. And who wrote it? Because the word Septuagint means 70. It was 70 Israelite elders that translated the uh, Bible, our Bible, our book, into Greek. And it says Cohen Greek. Now, let me read on. Many important Jewish writers and figures came from our studied, came from or studied in Alexandria. Let me read this again. Many important Jewish writers and figures came from or studied in Alexandria, such as Philo, Ben Sarah, Tiberius Julius, Alexander, and Josephus. The position of Alexandrian Jewry began deteriorating during the Roman era as deep anti-Semitic sentiments began developing among the city's Greeks and Egyptian populations. So they started hating Israelites. Reading on, this led to the subsequent Alexandrian pogrom in 38 CE and the Alexandrian riot in 66 CE which was in parallel with the outbreak of the first Jewish-Roman War. Alexandria's Jewry began to diminish, leading to a mass immigration of Alexandrian Jews, listen to this, 
to Rome. So a lot of the Israelites left Alexandria and went to Rome. It says, as well as other Mediterranean and North African cities, by the beginning of the Byzantine era, the Jewish population had again increased, but suffered from the persecutions of the Christian church. During the subsequent Muslim conquest of Egypt, the number of Jews in Alexandria increased greatly, with some estimates numbering around 400,000. Following the establishment of the state of Israel and uh, blah, 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 I didn't want to get that part. So this is the part I wanted to get, how you had Israelites living in Alexandria and this cat that we're reading about, Theophilus, that Luke wrote to, he was an Israelite that was from Alexandria. I want everybody to understand this. And I want everybody to understand that Israelites in the New Testament had Greek names. But this is part of the reason why, because they were Hellenized during the time of the Maccabees or they volunteered to be Hellenized during the time of the Maccabees, during the time of Antiochus Epiphany. We already went over all this. All right, I want to get this book right here. Um, it's titled A History of Christianity. All right, A History of Christianity, Owens Chadwick. I'm going to go to page uh, 13, y'all. This is a good one, too. Page 13. I'm going to read page 14. Awesome. It says, When Jesus was born in Palestine, uh, was when Jesus was born, Palestine was still the home of the Jews. Jerusalem was their sacred shrine and would be so for all and, and would be so for a time. Jews who did not live in Palestine would try to go to the holy city from time to time. So even though uh, they were not living in the city, the Israelites would always travel back to Jerusalem. Uh, from when it says time to time, they would travel back for the high holy days, such as Passover. Remember, Yahweh uh, Christ and his parents traveled back to Jerusalem for Passover. And when I'm I'm pulling this out to show us that. Because we get to the New Testament, man, and our minds just automatically think that because of religion, everybody is included in this, and we really don't see the Old Testament time period for what it really was. We just think that now all people are the same, and that's not what's going on in the New Testament at all. The Israelites are still the Israelites of the Old Testament, of the Apocrypha, they're just living in a different captivity in a different time. And these were some of the things that were taking place behind the scenes. So it says Jews who did not live in Palestine would try to go to the holy city from time to time, and if they could not, they sent money to the temple there. Right? Because remember, this is part of the law going back to the Old Testament where we had to send money for the upkeep of the temple. Uh, there's an example of Yahushua doing this in the New Testament with Peter when he sent him to go fishing and he pulled that corn out of the, out of a fish mouth and he told him to go get it, give it to the uh, 
the elders for the upkeep of the temple. That's what it was for. But reading on, it says, but while Jerusalem, Mount Zion, was their shrine, it was not now the center of Jewish life. See? Under the guard of Roman rule, the Jews moved into other towns all over the eastern Mediterranean. So there was a lot of migration going on at the time. And it says that Jewry or Jerusalem was not the center of where all the Israelites were. Remember the Most High told us he was going to scatter us? This is part of the prophecy coming true. We know. There were many Jews in the great commercial city of Alexandria, groups of them in all the towns of Syria and Asia, Asia Minor, some in Greece, more in Rome. Some of their thinkers now spoke and wrote in Greek. I hope y'all see this. I'm going to read this part again. Some of their thinkers now spoke and wrote in Greek. So you ask yourself, well, why is the New Testament in Greek? Why is the, was the Apocrypha wrote in Greek? This is why. Because of the captivity that we have been in, we adopted the languages from our captors including Greek. We spoke many other different languages as well, but during the time, by the time you get to the New Testament, we spoke Greek. This is why we had Greek names. This is why Luke is writing this letter, and if you don't know no better, you think he's writing it to a white dude. No, he's writing it to an Israelite who had a white dude's name, Theophilus, a Greek name. But reading on, let me read this part again so we can get it in context. Some of, some of their thinkers now spoke and wrote in Greek. The common language rather than in the Hebrew or Aramaic tongues, which was spoken in Palestine and in Syria. This move of the Jews into the lands of the Greeks and their use of Greek language were the first cause of the spread of the Christian faith. All the books of the New Testament had authors who were Jews by race. But all of them were written in Greek, some in bad Greek, some in the people's Greek of the East, which is called Cohen, the common language, and two at least in good Greek. So he's saying that two of the books of the New Testament was written in good Greek. The rest of them was written in bad Greek and uh, written in a language known as Cohen Greek that the Israelites had picked up and learned, like I said, going all the way back to the time of Antiochus' epiphany and his forced conversion and uh, voluntary conversion into Hellenization, which meant to be like the Greeks. Their ideology, their language, their culture, all of that, their idolatry, we got into all of that, and I went over all this. But let me read on. It says, not one of the books was written in Hebrew. So none of the New Testament books, they say, was written in Hebrew. It has been suggested that St. Matthew, who was at first a tax collector, he went over that, in Palestine, and then one of the apostles of Jesus, wrote his gospel in Hebrew. So they say that they think Matthew wrote his gospel in Hebrew. Now watch. And that 
the other turned into the Greek text we now have. So he said, they saying that it's rumored that St. Matthew did write his uh, gospel in uh, Hebrew, but then it was changed to Greek. The ground for this ideal is that of the four gospels about the life of Jesus, Matthew is the most Jewish in its insight into the Christian way. But it is now almost certain that this ideal of a lost Hebrew text is not true and that all the books of the New Testament were written in Greek. Whosoever wrote St. Matthew's Gospel, he was not the tax collector who rose from his table to be an apostle. Hmm. It says the Jews made it hard for themselves in that Greek-speaking and Roman rule societies by, resolute, by uh, resolutely refusing to do what other people did. So even though we were living in these occupied territories by occupied by the Romans and the Romans are in power, we still were doing our thing. We still were keeping our heritage, our culture. Reading on. It says the uses of the usage of their faith marked them as different. They would have no other God but God. Roman emperors might be mad enough to claim that they were gods and insist that their subjects should make offerings to show their obedience. These might be only a drop of incense, but they were but they were an acknowledgement that there were gods who were not God. You took this trivial right to heart. It was like rising to one's feet for the national anthem. But you see how I said that few of us took it to heart. So a lot of us were Hellenized, and a lot of us was into idolatry like the Greeks. But he goes on to say that to bow and to to, uh, recognize any other deity other than the Most High would be like rising for the national anthem. I hope y'all see this. The Jews could not do it. It was banned by their law. Thus, it seemed to others that they were not loyal subjects of Rome. And this was right, for they longed for a Messiah to save them from the hard rule and taxes of Rome. Well, y'all hearing this? Let me read this again. The Jews could not do it. It was banned by their law. Thus it seemed to others that they were not loyal subjects of Rome. And this was right, for they longed for a Messiah, a Savior, to save them from the hard rule and taxes of Rome. Come on, y'all. You see how people are, they just reading the Bible with no damn understanding, not understanding that by the time you get to the Gospels, which means good news, the good news that Christ was coming to save us from our captivity, the Israelites, not the whole world. But you see how they slide themselves into the picture? So let's get Jeremiah chapter 17, and we're going to start at verse 1, man. What I want us to take out of this or get from this is that our language was changed to where the we wasn't even speaking in Hebrew no more or writing in Hebrew. A lot of us weren't. A lot of us were speaking and writing in this language known as Cohen Greek. 
So let's get Jeremiah chapter 17 and start at verse 1. The sin of Judah is written with a, a pen of iron, meaning what? It's, it's, the, it's engraved. It says, and with the point of a diamond. It is graved upon the table of their heart, meaning it is just carved into our minds, and upon the horns of your altars, which their children remember their altars and their groves by the green trees upon the high hills. Oh, my mountain in the field, I will give thy substance and all thy treasures to the spoiler. This is the most high saying what he's going to do to us, and he did. And thy high places for sin. Throughout all thy borders Now this is the part I want to get to Verse 4 And thou Even thyself Talking about us The children of Israel And it's talking about In particular here Judah the southern kingdom And thou Even thyself Shall discontinue From thy heritage Meaning what? You ain't going to continue In the way you grew up In your culture In your heritage The things that Our forefathers passed down such as what? The Hebrew language. It says, discontinue from thy heritage that I gave thee, and I will cause thee to serve thy enemies in the land which thou knowest not. For ye have kindled a fire in my anger, which shall burn forever. This is the Most High, issuing our punishment for us disobeying. And now watch what else he did to us. Let's get Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28, and let's start at verse 10. It says, for precept must be upon precept. So basically a precept is a scripture, y'all. I was letting you know a scripture must be upon a scripture. You got to put a scripture with a scripture, whether it be Old Testament, New Testament, or the epoxy. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Now, this is the part I wanted to get to. Listen to this. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. Who is the he? It's the Most High. But he's letting us know, letting us know that the Most High is going to speak to us. It says, will he speak uh, with stammering lips and another tongue, a different language the Most High is going to speak to us in. But this is one of our punishments, y'all, for breaking his law, statutes, and commandments that he was going to speak to us in a different language. And how was he going to speak to us? The way he always has with his words, known as the scriptures or the Bible. So hold that and let's get, I'm going to read all this from his website, ChristianLingual.com. Uh, and it reads, into how many languages has the Bible been translated? So you ask why the Bible has been translated into so many different languages? Because the Israelites have been scattered into so many different places. But the most high prophesied, we just read in Isaiah, that he was going to speak to us in a different tongue, in different tongues. All right, read on. It says, one of the most common questions asked by both Christians and non-Christians is why? Why are there so many Bible translations? Are they necessary? Isn't it overkill to have so many? The answer is they are necessary. Without them, only a select few would be able to read the Bible. 
And this is true. But this ain't the sole purpose that it was translated into so many different languages. Let's get Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 64. This is Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 64, and it reads. Oh, I'm sorry, y'all. That wasn't it. Deuteronomy 28, verse 64. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people from the one end of the earth even unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy father have known, even wooden stone. So why is the Bible written in so many different languages? Because the Most High has scattered the Israelites through so many different parts of the world. Back to this article now. Paragraph 2. The Bible was originally written in three different languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The Old Testament was written in mostly Hebrew, with a few passages written in Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Greek, and we know from what we already read in this book, A History of of Christianity, it was written in Cohen Greek. It says the New Testament was written in Greek. This can be hard to grasp since the Bibles were hold, the Bibles we hold today are typically written in our native language. In an effort to ensure that all people are able to read the Bible in their own languages, various Christian translators or translate yeah, translators have translated the Bible into many tongues and dialects. So the religious community think that the Bible's been translated this way because they're trying to get everybody to read the Bible. But the Bible has not been translated for this purpose. The Bible has been translated into many different languages because the Most High said he was going to speak to his people in an unknown tongue, in an unknown language. That being all the many different languages that the different countries that we've been scattered to speaks so we can understand his word. All right, reading on. John Wycliffe is credited with being the first to translate the full Bible into English. Though three, I'm sorry, though, though there were other lesser-known translators prior to his, his Bible was known as the Wycliffe Bible. After this came multiple English translations, including the Tisdale Bible, the Coverdale of Great Bible, of Great Bible or Great Bible, the Geneva Bible, the Bishop's Bible, and then the beloved King James Bible, which was published in 1611. According to uh, oh, I can't pronounce this word, I'm sorry. There are 7,000, I'm sorry, yeah, there are 7,097 known languages in the world. So there's 7,097 7, known languages in the world, y'all. It says the, the complete Bible has been translated into approximately 700 languages, <laughs> whilst the New Testament has been translated into well over 1,500 languages. Smaller portions of the New Testament have been translated into over 1,000 languages. At least one part of the Bible has been translated into 3,312 
of the 7,097 languages. I hope everybody is seeing it, but why has the language been translated? Why has the Bible been translated into different languages like this? Because the Most High said in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 11, we'll read it again, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. This is why, y'all. And we've been scattered through all these nations. You got Israelites all over the world. You got Israelites in China. You got Israelites in in Africa. You got Israelites in Australia. Israelites in Japan. We're all over the world scattered. And we can read the Most High's language and understand it in whatever foreign uh, tongue that you grew up speaking, man, which would be your uh, natural language because you're natural to that place. That's where you grew up at. No different than these Israelites during the time of the New Testament spoke and understood Greek, and they read the, the Holy Scriptures in these uh, languages. Matter of fact, did I get that? Hold on, y'all. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, ah, I'm going to go back. Right, here it is right here. Let me get this right here first. Let's get Zephaniah. Come on, man. All right, there it is. Let's get Zephaniah chapter uh, three. Zephaniah chapter three and verse eight. Therefore, wait ye upon me, said the Lord, until the day that I rise up to pray. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them my indignation. So this is the Most High prophesying what he's going to do when he gathers the nations. We already got this. Christ said the same thing, basically. Even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Verse 9, the part I want to get to. For then, so when the most come back, when Christ returns, when the most sends our big brother Christ, when daddy sends big brother Christ to come back, this is what he said he's going to do. For then will I turn to the people, God's people, his people, a pure language. Y'all see this? That they may call that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. So you ask, well, when when the Most High can give us back the Hebrew, the pure language, because that was the first language. When is he going to give us back, give us back our language? He said when when Christ Christ returns, when Christ comes back, that's when we're going to get our language given back to us. That's the pure language, y'all. Hope everybody see this. All right, let's go back to Luke now. Now that we dealt with uh, Theophilus, who he was, and we dealt with the language aspect of the New Testament, let's get this. So going back to Luke chapter 1, and let's jump down to verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of uh, Abia, and his wife, was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So what is the course of Abia, y'all? 
Let's get that. All right. Of the course of a beer. So this is from BibleHub.com. It says, a beer, Abijah, in the Old Testament, when the priests had become numerous, David divided the whole body into 24 classes or courses, which were appointed to do service in weekly rotation so that each of the courses had to attend at the temple twice in the year for a week each time. Of the 24 courses, that of Abijah was the eighth. Of the number that went into captivity, only four of the courses returned, and that of Abijah was was not one of them. So it's talking about the different captivities that we went in, and now we're finding out that Zacharias was part of this course, man, which tells you what. And the reason I wanted to get this is to show how these are still the people of the Old Testament we're dealing with. There's nothing new about the New Testament other than us being in the new captivity, <laughs> to be honest, and speaking a, a different language. But it's still dealing with the same people. I hope everybody's seeing this. Still dealing with the Israelites. So it says that Zechariah was a part of this uh, course named Ab. Name Abia. That's the 92nd mark, man. I, I got enough time to finish. It says, uh, and that of Abia was not one of them. Four were divided into 24 in order to reprove, I'm sorry, to uh, reproduce the former distri- distribution and to render the anthology more completely. They received the same names as the original courses. Nice. Now, let's go to First uh, Chronicles 24, verse 1, and let's get where this came from. First Chronicles 24 and 1. And it reads, now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. Now, remember, the sons of Aaron were the priests. The sons of Aaron, Nadab. Uh, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ishamar. But Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. Therefore, Eleazar, Ishamar, ex- executed the priest's office. And David distributed them the dock of the sons of Eleazar and Ahim Elect of the sons of Ishamar according to their offices in their services. And there were more chief men found of the sons of Eleazar than of the sons of Ishamar, and thus were they divided. So y'all see this, right? goes right where we just read on Bible Hub. Among the sons of Eleazar, there were 16 chief men of the house of their fathers, and eight among the sons of Ithamar, according to the house of their fathers. Thus were they divided. By lot, one sort with another, for the governors of the sanctuary and governors of the house of God were of the sons of Eleazar and of the sons of Ish- Ishamar. 
So David divided them up so they could have weekly rotations in the temple, uh, the temple's uh, goings uh, in the house of the Lord, man. So this goes right along what we just read in uh, Bible Hub and what we just read in Luke chapter 1 and verse 5, man. So now we know uh, what that order or that course that Zachariah, John the Baptist's daddy, was a part of, man. Once again, y'all, all biblical. These are all biblical uh, things, all things uh, Israelite from the Old Testament to the New, man, one and the same. So, y'all, I think this is a good stopping place because I don't want to lose anybody. We're going to come back, Lord's willing, next week. we definitely going to read this whole chapter because there's so much meat in it. I'm going to bring out some, um, some sidebar information that you may or may not know. So I hope everybody got some edification from this class. I hope I didn't lose anybody. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for your support. Uh, the Water Mashallah for hooking up the broadcast. And until next week, Lord willing, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to please tune in to Tuzzle Pod Tuesday, Tuzzle Pod Tuesday, Tuzzle Pod Tuesdays every Tuesday. And with that, y'all, I'm going to say shalom. <laughs>